fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Good morning, everyone. I'm loving this series in the heart, Larry, really well constructed because it's such a key element in Jesus' teaching, the matter of the heart. Um, and I think the whole Christian faith is really about uh, getting below religion, which just deals with the surface, to, you know, come on, who are you really, this, this matter of the heart. And really uh, thankful for uh, being given this topic of being cut to the heart, even though it's quite a challenging, confronting topic great topic. Uh, so thanks, Larry. I'm only sad that I'm going to be missing the next few weeks. Um, next Sunday, I head overseas, so I'll be gone for the whole month of September, but look forward to coming back at the beginning of October and being with you then. There's quite a number of examples of being cut to the heart uh, in the scripture. Uh, you think of uh, David when he was confronted by Nathan uh, David had done a terrible thing. Um, he'd seen Bathsheba and he wanted her, but she was married. So he was in a position where he could arrange for her husband to be put in the fiercest part of the fighting in the battle and to be killed. He murdered him uh, in a roundabout way. He was responsible for his death. He deliberately saw that he was killed so that he could get the woman that he want, wanted. But it was all secret until the prophet Nathan told him a story uh, and about, you know, it was sort of like a, it was a little parable um, 
about uh, a similar thing. And David identified very clearly in the story who the guilty person was. And Nathan said, you are that man. David was cut to the heart and he realised, I'm wrong. That's true. I've done it. Horrible feeling. <sighs> it's exposed. It's known. And I'm in the wrong. And we get Psalm 51 out of that, a beautiful psalm of confession and repentance in which David says, a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. And he was broken and he was contrite and God took him back. You can think about Isaiah, who uh, was, was a prophet and, and a, a really good man, very wise man. But when he went into the temple one day, he saw God high and lifted up in all of his glory and his holiness and in that moment, when Isaiah saw God very clearly for who he was, he also saw himself. And he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. For all of that, he used to speak truth and good things. He knew also what came out of his mouth was not clean. It was not right, not good. And he was cut to the heart. But woe is me. But in that moment, God reached to him lifted him up and, and uh, he saw an angel take a coal from the, uh, the fire and touch his lips and said, see, this has touched your lips that you think is unclean. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And then think about Peter when the rooster crowed. Because Jesus had said to him, if for all Peter was saying, even if everybody else falls away, I never will. I will not let you down, Jesus. And Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Tonight. And when that rooster crowed, Peter remembered, cut to the heart, and he went out and wept bitterly. It's a, it's a hard experience being cut to the heart. There are some memories that I have um, from my childhood. I remember one time my good friend Chris Johnson. Uh, we, were, we were best mates. This is about grade six. And he came with me on a cub camp. And look, he was an odd guy, for sure. Um, but all the other boys started bullying him and I joined in. And it's bad enough, the bullying itself is bad enough, but also there was the weakness in me to just give in to that peer pressure. There was the disloyalty in me. And when I saw the way that he looked at me, when I joined in the bullying, <sighs> cut to the heart. Oh, why did I do that? There was another, you might laugh at this, but there was, was another instance where um, uh, the church was, this is back before GST, right? There was a thing called sales tax way, way back, deep in the last millennium. Uh, and uh, so the church was buying a CD player for the, you know, like up the back there, the, the, all that gizmo stuff. Well, we needed a new CD player. And uh, we were buying the CD player, uh, X sales tax, because you could do that. It was being used in the context of worship. Which, that's all fine. But when I put the order in, I ordered two. One for me. 
I thought, well, you know, I'm saving the sales tax, you know, what's wrong with that? I knew it was wrong. <laughs> but I went ahead and I did it. And it was actually in the context of worship. And uh, the Spirit really spoke to me and said, so um, where is the line then? If you'd compromise on that, what else would you compromise on, Rick? Oh, man. And I was really cut to the heart. I realised this may be a little thing in other people's eyes, but it was compromise on money. And I, I knew how money can really get a hold of people's hearts. This is very early in my ministry at Tilopia, probably first, second year of that. So we're talking mid-80s, early 80s. Anyway, I don't know what the sales tax uh, department people did with the cheque that I sent, but it probably really uh, puzzled them because it went with a little note saying, I've done the wrong thing, here's the sales tax I should have paid. You know, never heard anything back. So it's gone into consolidated revenue somewhere. <laughs> when have you been cut to the heart? Whether it's over what other people would say is a little thing or a big thing. Can you identify when, a time when you've been cut to the heart, when you've realised you've been wrong? Be assured, I'm not going to ask you to share anything here, okay? <laughs> this is absolutely confidential. But I, I want you to think about a time when you have been cut to the heart. You know you were in the wrong. Bang! And it gets you. It's the, the head drops. Or maybe you get that hollow feeling inside. Does anybody get that? Or the tears start to come. I just want you to sort of go inside yourself for a minute. Just identify a time when you've been cut to the heart, when you know you're wrong. Have you got it? It feels bad, doesn't it? It feels really bad. So, here's the thing. If I could offer you a pill, you take this pill, you will never feel that horrible feeling ever again. Will you take it? Will you take the pill? We can take that pain away. It'll all be covered over. You'll never feel the pain of being cut to the heart again. You're going to take that pill? For all that it's a horrible feeling, we need this. What kind of person would it make you if you could never feel that again? What kind of person is it? Psychopaths have this. As horrible as that feeling is, it's part of what makes us human. You know, in the, the full good sense of being human, God's designed us this way. Conscience, that's what we're talking about. It's a precious, God-given capacity of the heart. And I just want to clarify a few terms here. Conscience, condemnation, conviction. Because conscience is the capacity of the heart to tell the difference between our moral values and our actions. What you have inside us is your moral standard. When you do something that contravenes that, your conscience kicks in and says, there's a difference here. And that might begin as a, 
a rumbling sense of unease deep down. It might not be cut to the heart just yet. It might be just, I'm sure about this. But when we're cut to the heart, we feel compelled to do something to resolve that tension. The tension mounts to a point where uh, it really gets to us. And in our reading, uh, in Acts chapter 2, for the people on the day of Pentecost, it got to the point where they said, brothers, what shall we do? Paul says, you crucified this Jesus. <gasps> That's true. It's right. We did. We called out, crucify him. We did that. What have we done? Brothers, what do we have to do? We can't just live with this. Cut to the heart. So when we're cut to the heart like that, this is one or both of two things coming into play. Condemnation or conviction. Condemnation is the voice of the enemy that says, this thing here, this makes you a bad person. This makes you rotten. And where that leads, when we listen to that voice of condemnation, it leads to our heart being crushed or hardened. But the other thing that can kick in at that point where we realise, there's a difference. I'm wrong. Is the voice of the Spirit bringing conviction. And what the Spirit says is, this requires an about face. You need to turn around. And that, can lead to our heart being purified and set free. It's important to figure out what's going on when you're cut to the heart. Consider Judas. Um, In Matthew 27, this uh, really chilling uh, account of what happened. When Judas, this is uh, verse 3 of Matthew 27, when Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, saw that he was condemned... He was seized with remorse. This is what we're talking about. Seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I've sinned, he said, for I've betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. (laughs) Condemnation. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. His conscience was accurate, but he responded to condemnation rather than conviction. That confusion between condemnation can make conscience dangerous. Conscience uh, requires training and sharpening. It's a bit like a temperature warning light on the dash of your car. It has to be correctly calibrated. You know, if that little temperature light isn't correctly calibrated, it could go off too early. You know, like, it's, it's only 30 degrees. Bing! You know, the temperature light comes on because it's calibrated too low. Or if it's calibrated too high, you know, you're at 200 degrees and it's still not on. You know, so it needs to be correctly calibrated. But it also needs to activate when the temperature reaches that certain point of calibration. You can't have a faulty switch. Conscience is a bit like that. It has to be correctly calibrated. And it has to be sensitive. Conscience can lose both calibration and sensitivity. It requires training by the word of God and it requires sharpening by obedience. So was Jiminy Cricket right 
you know who Jiminy Cricket is? I mean, I, I don't know whether I can try this tonight with the evening congregation. They may not get Jiminy Cricket, you know. Jiminy Cricket was the character in the uh, Pinocchio, you know. Always let your conscience be your guide. So was he right? Do you always let your conscience be your guide? It's complicated because you don't want to be habitually resisting the voice of conscience because you need that. But we've got to know conscience is not the final arbiter here. We need training by God's word because conscience can be off. In 1 Corinthians 4, um, Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. This is really important. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Your conscience can be out of whack. It can be wrongly calibrated. You can think that something is okay and it's not okay. And vice versa. You can think that something's not okay and actually God says, that's fine. You can have an overly sensitive conscience. We need our conscience to be calibrated, trained, aligned properly with the word of God so that the moral standard we hold within is true. So that what conscience relates to is something reliable. It isn't always. We need the word of God to put that right. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For the word of God is alive and active. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's the one against which our heart has to be calibrated. The word of God. In 2 Timothy 3, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Those four words are all really great words to, talk, to describe what the Word of God does. Because the teaching is about what says, this is the way. The rebuking is about, hey, you're off the way. <laughs> the correcting is, this is how you get back on the way. And then the training is, here how you stay on the way. The Word of God is really useful in every point to identify it, to identify when you're off it, to identify how to get back on it, and to how to stay on it. That's how we train our conscience, by God's word. It also needs to be sharpened by obedience. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about how um, people who have strayed far from God, their foolish hearts were darkened. This is this darkening, deadening, dumbing down of conscience through disobedience, and they become unable to tell the difference between right and wrong accurately. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 2, it talks about people whose consciences were seared as with a hot iron. If anybody has a scar here, like a, a scar that where you've been burnt, it's been seared, you, you lack sensitivity. A, a burning scar, the, the nerves are dead. That's, what, that's the image that, that Paul's talking about here. Um, you not, don't have that sensitivity because of disobedience. In, in 2 Corinthians 7, there's a wonderful uh, passage where Paul's talking about how he sent a letter to the Corinthians and it really stirred them up because he was, he was calling attention to the fact that they had strayed off the way. So he, he was calibrating them back to the word of God. But uh, that, well, that was one thing. But then how they responded to that was really crucial. So whether they were going to uh, be obedient or not, and this is what he says. Um, this is verses 8 to 11 of uh, 2 Corinthians 7. 
I know I distressed you greatly with my letter. Although I felt awful at the time, I don't feel at all bad now, now that I see how it's turned out. The letter upset you, but only for a while. Now I'm glad. Not that you were upset, but that you were jarred into turning things around. You let the distress bring you to God. This is really important. And we've cut to the heart. What's it going to achieve? He says, you let the distress bring you to God, not drive you from him. The result was all gain, no loss. Distress that drives us to God <laughs> does that. It turns us around. It gets us back into the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets, end up on a deathbed of regrets. And now, isn't it wonderful? All the ways in which this distress has goaded you closer to God. You're more alive, more responsible, more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate. Looked at from any angle, you've come out of this with purity of heart. In the reading that we had from Acts 2, you know, the early disciples, because they responded so well, when, when Peter said, uh, in response to their question, what are we going to do? He said, well, repent, turn around and be baptised. And they did. The result? They ended up with glad and sincere hearts because they took notice of their painful conscience and they did something positive. They did an about-face. They repented. Their distress turning into joy and purity of heart. We've always got to note the caveat here, though. We have to respond to, to conviction and not to condemnation. If you respond to condemnation, that's going to lead you crushed and hardened. Even though conscience isn't perfect, we shouldn't ignore it. There's a... I don't have time right now, so I'm, I'm not going to read it. But have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 to 11. talks about a situation in which uh, Paul's talking to people who know that um, there's a particular issue about meeting eat, uh, meat that's been offered to idols. It's not really a big deal. Before God, the idols are nothing. But some people are really sem sensitive about this. For them, it's wrong. And Paul's giving pastoral counsel, saying, don't just... Uh, do, don't do this in front of people who are sensitive about it because you're going to be leading them to go against their conscience. That would be a bad thing. You do need to pay attention to your conscience and get it calibrated with God's word and be sensitive about it. Being cut to the heart is an opportunity to move towards purity of heart. Even though it's not a nice experience when your head drops... And you get that hollow feeling inside. Maybe when the tears start to come, you realise, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I have stuffed up. First thing, turn around. Hear the voice of the Spirit. This requires an about face. Please don't do what Judas did. Because... He tried to fix it for himself. Why did he go to the priests? He should have gone to Jesus. Even if he'd gone to Jesus hanging on the cross and said, Jesus, I'm so sorry. It was me. I betrayed you. I did this. I'm so sorry. 
Don't you reckon Jesus would have said, Father, forgive him. He didn't know what he was doing. We're going to come to communion now. Sing a couple of songs. Ease our way in. And Nathan's going to lead us around the table. Let it come. If there's something over which the Spirit wants to convict you, let that cutting of the heart come. As painful as it may be, there's a great opportunity to move towards purity of heart here this morning.